0: Please turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, I'll be reading Luke, chapter 12, verses 35 through 48. Stay dressed for action, and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the Master finds awake when He comes. Truly I say to you, He will dress Himself for service and have them recline at table, and He will come and serve them. If He comes in the second watch or the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But, if that servant says to himself... My master is delayed in coming. And he begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour he does not know and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knows his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know, and did what deserved a beating, will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Lord, we're hopeless without any hope if you don't work in us who believe. In us who by your sovereign grace cling to you. Work this text in us. Perform in us today, 2,000 years later, what you intended when you spoke these words to this mass of people on that day. Oh, would your grace And the rewards of your grace flow through us. So therefore, help me unfold what is here. Help me just say it again. And by your Spirit, apply it. Amen. In Luke chapter 12, as we've been listening to Jesus in this long sermon and speech, He has been teaching at this point. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't be fretting about what you can eat and the food that you need. But he did not teach that we should be utterly unprepared for tomorrow. Or that we should ignore tomorrow. Or to not plan for tomorrow. He didn't say that. If you remember, just look back at verse 33. He's already just said, provide yourselves a future bank account. That's tomorrow. Right? You know what he means? Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. With a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. What Jesus is getting at is that the way we live day by day in not being overcome with worry and wringing our hands about the basic necessities of life and what may come about, the way that we get free from that worry is precisely by focusing on the future. The second coming of Jesus where every person will give an account. He says, put your mind way in the future, which may be 10 minutes from now or 10,000 years from now, but it is sure and that's the power to walk the Christian life. Essentially, what he's going to say here about us who are servants of Christ, we have a master, is that the way that you live this life and treat other servants more lovingly is by having your affections rooted in that future day when Jesus will come back. He says in our text... That we are to view ourselves as being owned by this master. That we are to view ourselves as stewards who have been given time, money, and differing abilities. Who are to use those things that have been entrusted to us as faithful servants. See, Jesus came in the incarnation, to become truly human in order to die for the sins of those who would believe and to save them. And on the third day, He was resurrected from the dead. And five weeks later, He ascended. The story's not over yet. He will come back in that resurrected body. And that is the central hope of the Christian. Jesus' return, his second coming is mentioned at least 318 times in 27 small New Testament books. This is a central focus of the gospel. You remember when Jesus was talking to us disciples about taking up our cross and following Him, He concluded that this way, And whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when He comes in the glory of His Father. With his holy angels. In Mark chapter 13, Jesus says, And then, this future day, they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds. From the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. On the night before he was crucified, he said to his disciples, And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself. So that where I am, then you may be also. Okay, just a taste there. But then you just go on to the letters. In the early church, the Apostle Paul says to Christians, are you one? Whether it's back then or 2,000 years later, he writes this to the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 20 to 21. Our citizenship believer, is in heaven, and from it, here's the light. here's the Christian life, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorified body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul writes, The Lord Jesus himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. The Apostle John opens up the book of Revelation this way. Behold, He is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see Him. Even those who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will well. On account of him. Okay, look, living with the anticipation of this future event is at the heart of what it is to be a genuine Christian. And so now in our journey through the Gospel of Luke We come here towards the end of chapter 12 where Jesus now will give his first extended teaching on his second coming. With the emphasis of his point, be ready. He says, this is going to happen. Be ready. So let's start with verse 35. He gives three word pictures in order to lovingly provoke us to be ready for His second coming. The first is right there at the beginning. Stay dressed for action. Literally in the Greek, gird up your loins okay they all wore long robes so when it's time to work or to run you need the freedom to do that you you gather your robe you gird it up you tuck it into your belt and now they become like shorts and your legs are free that's how you work that's how you if you're a slave you're a servant you're working outside you're working inside whatever you that's how you do it so he says be working be ready Second word picture. And keep your lamps burning. There's no electricity. So here you are, you're a servant of the house, and you're waiting for a guest in the middle of the night, or your master to come home in the middle of the night. You're waiting for that. Have your wick lit. Oil there. That shows readiness. Jesus says to us, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Now, wedding feast, see, Jesus is it's a picture in their culture that they're all getting, okay? So, this wedding feast, Hebrew wedding feast, could last days, up to a week. So when the master's coming home is anybody's guess. Morning, noon, night, 4 a.m. They don't know. Jesus says, you guys understand all this. So therefore, no matter when he comes home, be waiting, ready. Open the door. The lamps are already on. You're using the lamp to see, is He coming? Jesus says to believers, picture yourself as a household servant waiting, preparing, girding your loins, keeping your lamps lit constantly, maybe for days, so that when the Master comes and knocks, you're right there, welcome home. Master, he's saying, don't be sleeping. Don't be lounging around, eating potato chips and watching soap operas while dust accumulates in the house. The master isn't home. We don't need to do our chores. He says, don't be like that. But he says, be like this. You're ready. You open the door. Welcome home. That's how the followers of Jesus are to live their life. Waiting for their master to come back. Or to joyfully anticipate his second coming. He may come back in the middle of the night. In the picture he says... The servants open the door. Welcome. There's some cookies on the table. Sit down. Let me wash your feet. And it's their joy to do it. But then in our text, what happens next was even better. And it's stunning. Verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the Master finds awake when He comes Truly I say to you, He, the Master, will dress Himself for service. Literally, He'll gird up His loins. And have them, His servants, recline at table. And He will come and serve them. In the picture, the master was so pleased by the faithfulness of the servants that he sits them down, don't get up. I'm going to cook, I'm going to serve, I'm going to dish out, I'm going to refill your drinks for you. Is there probably laughing and having a wonderful conversation at this middle of the night feast? As he says, and people will come from. East and West in chapter 13. This is not a parable here. They will come from North and South and they will recline at table in the Kingdom of God. There is a true, genuine future feast. It's described in Revelation 19 this way. Let us rejoice And exalt and give Him the glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so, Jesus says in verses 37 and 38, Blessed are those servants whom the Master finds awake when He comes. Truly I say to you, He will dress Himself for service and have them recline at table, and He will come and serve them. If He comes in the second watch, that means from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., or in the third, from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. In the middle of the night. And he finds them awake, looking. Blessed are those servants. But I'm tired. That's Come on, Jesus. His point is, yeah, you might be tired, but you guys will be blessed beyond your wildest imaginations as your master, the Savior, will seat you and joyfully serve your greatest needs. Wait! anticipate, don't get your eyes off of the second coming, that's his point, and that's what he goes on with the next word picture to illustrate, starting with verse 39, Jesus says, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming... He would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So Jesus says, I'm comparing my second coming to a thief, a burglar, who will come in the middle of the night. When people are sleeping or not ready or gone, they're not expecting it. That's the point. He says, my second coming will be like that. But he says, I say to you, don't be caught like the homeowner who ought to been aware a burglar could come tonight. Maybe you live in a small village and already know that over the last three months there's been 18 houses and there's only 185 houses but 18 of them have been burglarized. You might be a little wise to figure out a plan to be ready if your house is next. Jesus says feel that get that and he concludes you also must be ready because the son of man like a thief. It's going to come when you're not looking. You're not expecting it. That language there, Jesus, compare your second coming like a, a bad guy, a thief in the middle of the night, was so central in the early church that it carried over with the apostles. I mean, this, this one carried over. Just let me give you a taste. Paul writes, to the Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2-4. Christians, for you yourselves are fully aware that, here's the second coming, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Why, Paul? Because they know Jesus' parable of this. You yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there's peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you, believer, are not in darkness because... Or for that day to surprise you like a thief. Peter uses the same language in Second Peter 310. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Hmm. People aren't aware. And then the heavens. Then will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. The risen Lord Jesus speaks to the church, it's Sardis, in the book of Revelation this way: What you received and heard, keep it, and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. And finally, in Revelation 16, verse 15, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, so that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. So, if if you know, the burglar could be coming tonight at 3 a.m. What are you doing at 3 a.m.? That's the question that Jesus wants us to constantly ask ourselves. If you're expecting, really, just really go there, think about it. If you're expecting the Lord Jesus to come back bodily in the next 24 hours... What should your life look like? That's the question our text confronts us with. If Jesus came back last Tuesday at 3 p.m., would have you been comfortable with that? Or three weeks ago, Friday night, or yesterday? Are there movies, magazines, websites that you would need to get rid of if you knew you knew in twenty minutes Jesus is coming back? If you know this coming Tuesday at 3 p.m., it's all over with. Christ is coming back, judgment day is coming, would you still be dating that guy? Or that gal? Are you watching TV shows that if Jesus knocked on the door and you know it's Him, oh my gosh, you have to turn it off. That's what Jesus means for us to feel. And I, I think, other than the TV part and websites, these disciples are feeling it. I mean, their minds are reeling over what he has said and the implications of it. And that's why we read what happens in verse 41. Peter interrupted. Peter said, Jesus, okay, are you saying this stuff? Are you telling this parable for us or for everybody? For all. That's a good question, but what does that question mean is the first thing that hit hit me. In other words, does Peter mean us as apostles among the disciples, as leaders in the church? and the all means the rest of the disciples as a whole is that what he means when he asks the question or does he mean are you saying this for us meaning all of all of us disciples the 12 the 70 the 3432 all of us disciples and then the rest is the world is that the question, or, or does all mean something like not everybody, but everybody who, in any way, in their mind or head, and externally, has some type of connection to Jesus. I, I think, as we verse forty-six, when Jesus answers, which is still a little bit not direct, but it's indirect, but. Verse 46 gives us a clue because of the way he answers the question and, and the clue is this, that one of the groups, is Jesus, Peter asked the question, is this for us or is it for all? And Jesus goes on the to top. And that one of the groups now that will be laid out, groups of people, are those who will ultimately be shown to be unbelievers. The unfaithful cut into pieces. And thus, I think we can say that, okay, I'm answering your question, Peter. The all is anyone who has any sort of connection to Christ, to, to the church, to Christianity. All of them. Including even those at the end will be shown to never have been truly born again. May you follow me a little bit? So, so here's Jesus' answer in a nutshell, then we'll go look at the text. This is what I understand what we're going to be looking at, saying something like this. Peter, good question. Here's the answer. What I have just said about the thief and about the servant and about being ready, yes, Peter, it especially applies to you and the apostles. It especially applies to leaders in the church. Since, as he's going to conclude this section, since you have been given much, and therefore much is required. But, Peter, it also applies to everyone in proportion to how much they have been given. So let's start with verse 42 to 44. Jesus says... Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them, the household, their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions." This is a picture of those who have been entrusted with spiritual responsibility over God's community, the church. Now, the picture he's using is something that they understand in their culture that we don't hear. The picture is that here's a slave. The Roman Empire had slavery. Here's a slave, and this particular slave was in the position of a steward. Which means when the master is away, he's the head honcho. He runs everything. He takes care of the entire household and the master's entire estate. And provides for them and makes sure everyone's taken care of. And everyone's fed and everyone has eaten. That's the steward's job. The welfare of the other slaves. His point is, pastors, with a stewardship, your job is to feed the other servants. Feed the flock. Who then is the faithful and wise steward, literally, slave master, whom his master will set over his household to give them, the household, their portion of food at the proper time. There is a frightening word from the Lord in Ezekiel 34. Start with verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of Man, talking to Ezekiel, Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones. But you do not feed the sheep. The weak, you have not strengthened. The sick, you have not healed. The injured, you have not bound up. The strayed, you have not brought back. The lost, you have not sought. And with force and harshness, you have ruled them. So they are scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beast. I think Jesus has this kind of stuff in mind. You remember after his resurrection, before his ascension, sitting on the beach with Peter? Peter. Steward. Steward. Do you love me? Yes, Jesus, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. In our text, Jesus says that the truth, the reality of the second coming, and evaluation day when he comes, is the motivation for stewards, it would be really wise... To be faithful to the Master. That's the point. One commentator, Kent Hughes, gives this illustration of the text. Quote, I am reminded of the earthly servanthood of John Brodus, the faithful president of Southern Baptist Seminary during the Civil War at war's end the seminary had four professors and seven students and one of those students was blind. Only the blind student took Brodus's course on preaching. Under such circumstances many teachers would have been tempted to give less than their best but not dr brodus who gave painstaking care to every lecture those magnificent lectures became the substance for the most famous and influential of all books on homiletics in American history called The Preparation and Delivery of Sermons, end quote. Whether the steward is teaching or preaching to four people or four thousand, that in no way should mean that the preparation of the meal of the Word of God should be less time consuming because there's only four as opposed to 4,000. Picture yourself as one of 4,000. Or let's just say Miss Sally. She's one person sitting among 4,000 Or she's one person sitting among four. Why, if she sits with 4,000, should the shepherd not be as faithful if it takes 27 hours of preparation for four people? Why should she be deprived of the food of the master? Or why should she be granted better food just because there happens to be 3,999 other people sitting around? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. There's a future, he's saying. There are, there are f- rewards for faithfulness to Dr. Brodus. And there's a resurrection. And there's an eternal future. The Lord will come. And He will set Him over. Okay, whatever all those things mean. I do know this. Blessed. It will be a blessing. Eternity won't be in our resurrected body sitting on a cloud. We will be physical as Jesus is and we will share with Him in works, in responsibilities, and activity. That is coming. Go to verse 45. But, if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the un. Faithful or unbelievers. Word translated either way. This servant here, with the responsibility to care for the master's people, it wasn't just unfaithful, is the point here. It wasn't just that he didn't do it perfectly. This servant acted proactively, consciously, wickedly towards the master's. Did it in order to live for his own temporal pleasures. He used them. These persons are those who use their ministries within the church for their own sinful pleasures. He ain't coming. I'm going to drink. I'm going to eat. I ain't going to be worried about feeding them. I'm going to get drunk. They use their ministries for their motivation of fulfilling the lust of their flesh. But it's a fatal mistake, Jesus says. Because the master is going to come back. And when he does, he's going to dismember them, literally. Cut them in pieces. Put them where they belong. With the unbelievers. See, there is a danger in not living for every believer and for everyone in word ministry. There is a danger for not living consciously about the second coming of Christ it could happen any moment. That's his point. My master's not coming. Those in Christian leadership, they may profess Christ, they may use Christian cliches real well, they may even point and say, look, the Bible, 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 Bible says they may build large or small Christian followings. But if that person consistently behaves in unchristian, unbiblical, sinful, unrepented ways, manipulating the sheep. He's not a believer. He could be a denominational head. Could be a local church pastor. But he's not a believer. And at the end, he will be put with the unfaithful when Jesus returns. These persons usually preach false doctrine. Why? Because if their lifestyles with the picture Jesus gives here is really feeding their own flesh (laughs) then there's a lot of stuff that's in the Bible that you don't want to become conscious of. You want to hide your own sin dodge it lest it be exposed. This is One reason why, forget about, I mean, it's really important for the household of faith, I believe, that is expository preaching, preach the whole counsel of God. If you work your way through books and you literally deal with the text while you do that, you're going to hit almost everything over time. But, 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 But why it's really also a grace to preachers? Um, you, you either you can go two, two ways for ten years. Well, I, I don't know. I never really preached through books. or I, I just, I don't know. What does the Lord want me to preach on? Well, that usually means, what do I want to preach on? But not always, usually. But at the same time, you've got little pet kind of things you want to talk about, and false teachers have done this for 2,000 years. But when you have to flip and say, where do we leave off? What's the next paragraph? And if you do it expositorily, I mean, if the goal as a preacher is to say, what does the thing say? What does it mean? What, what is the impact that is there in the text, apart from any creativity that I. What is it there? There's something of the grace of God for that sinful preacher that constantly, before it even pounds the people, must pound and slam him. And hopefully the grace of God is working. But these persons whom Jesus refers to, wicked servant, they use religion to promote their own greed, their own immorality. And literally for 2,000 years, starting with, during the Apostle Paul's ministry, To today, the list of these people is long. Paul warns all of us this way in Ephesians chapter 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone, you hear him, everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Believer, let no one, preacher or no, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the Son's, of disobedience and therefore do not become partakers with them. So in our text Jesus pronounces this radically severe punishment. He will cut him into pieces because these guys, these so-called stewards have taken that which is meant to benefit these people eternally and has used that religion to destroy them. Now, let me just let's ask the question: Why, for a minute, here we are, Jesus. We see you there. Peter's going. Why? Just for us? Is it for every? What's going on here? He's asking the question. So let's ask ourselves the question: Why does Jesus warn this way? Why are warnings like this? Necessary for seminary students. For persons in the pastorate. For Christian bloggers. For everyone who calls themselves a believer. All disciples. Why are warnings like that in the Christian life necessary? Well, one answer, just from the text, is this. Judas was there. And Judas has always been there for 2,000 years. Don't be him. That's all. And there's no contradiction when you hear the warning, Peter. Peter says, I don't want to be him. And he wasn't a Judas in his sinfulness. Here's a repentant believer. And therefore the warnings for all believers are a constant wake up call, gird your loins, light your lamps. It's a warning to everybody. Our professions of faith in Christ are important. Yes. But, The Master will one day return and he will evaluate the genuineness of that profession of faith in Christ at his second coming. In verses 47 and 48, he goes on. And, okay, he's done with that wicked servant there. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating Will receive a light beating. What in the world? Oh, good. You're thinking that that's how you read the Bible. That's a good Bible reader. Okay. There's a debate on whether the first servant is one, and then there's a second, and then there's a third. There's a debate on whether these last two, the guy who receives the severe beating or the lesser beating, because of he has lesser knowledge, but he's still accountable. Okay, there's a debate on whether these degrees of beatings have to do with degrees of punishment in hell or whether they are the stripping of rewards for those who are saved. You follow me so far? Okay. I think. And I like it when I get to do this because ultimately, if I'm wrong about the text, I know I'm not wrong about the theology because I'm going to show that in a minute. But, 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 but elsewhere in the Bible, okay? I think what Jesus is doing here is that he's referring to those who do have a genuine connection to Jesus. Unless they're saved and will be saved. And that their sinfulness, their, their unfaithfulness, and there's no saint who is ever not Committed unfaithfulness. Okay, that their unfaithfulness is not like the unfaithfulness of the first guy, the wicked, wretched slave who didn't feed the sheep, didn't want to feed the sheep, beat them up and abused them. There are different categories, is what I think Jesus is saying. But instead, these final two slaves, they're sinners who are disciplined, but they don't lack genuine connection to the savior. And see Jesus is gonna show at the end of this this a lot of discipline let me turn it this way lack of rewards were rewards taken away rewards granted so much has to do and when all these degrees with the degree of accountability so whether rewards or whether the severity of Punishment has to do with degrees of your knowledge, degrees of position, etc. I mean, Jesus' brother later, James, said this. Let not many of you, my Christian brothers, become teachers. Because as teachers, you will be judged with a stricter judgment. So in Jesus's, this part of this sermon here, what we're looking at this morning, this, let me kind of summarize it. I think what Jesus is doing is he gives three groupings of persons. The first, as we saw, is Blessed is the faithful and wise manager. Blessed is that. See verse 43, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Okay. Then the second category are those who in religion are wolves in sheep's clothing who bring damage to the church. They will be cut in pieces. They will be thrown into hell. The third Category are those who by God's grace are saved, but the degree of their unfaithfulness will be judged on that day. Now, here's where I'm going to find a lot of confidence to restate that and find it really clearly in Scripture. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. in 1 Corinthians 3 much like what I think Jesus is doing particularly referring to those with more and more responsibility or spiritual authority over other servants in the church that's the context of what Jesus is talking about in first I mean Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 what do we do with this Pastoral, preaching, teaching, ministry. This is the subject. Start with verse 10, chapter 3. Paul writes, According to the grace of God given to me, now he's talking about his own ministry, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, because he was a church planter, missionary, and someone else is building upon it, yes, pastors are raised up to teach and to preach, someone else is building upon it, let each one take care. Let each one take care, be careful how he builds upon it. Because no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on that foundation with gold or silver or precious stones or wood or hay or straw, okay, each One's work will become manifest at Jesus' second coming. That's what he's going to say. Why? Because the day, means his second coming, the day of judgment will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives that person will receive a reward okay stop right there this is what I think is Jesus blessed is that servant oh it's gonna be a blessed day to one extent or another all that survives well I bet a lot well that one didn't survive yeah we correct whatever it's gonna be blessed is that one? Oh, look at that structure that he built In people's lives with faithfulness of the word. He said, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, wood, hay, straw, burns. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as to fire. Or, this is what I'm understanding right now, suffer a lot. What do you mean suffer loss? Yeah, we can suffer loss. You think you're building something, but you didn't really build anything, man. Let me show you how faith, unfaithful you were here. Oh, a stronger beating. Those, yeah, that's going to hurt for a while. I don't know. Oh, lesser beating. Okay, okay. All right. But he himself will be saved. Okay. Now, go on. Do you not know, church... Talking to the whole church. Do you not know that you, this is plural, hes not means you individually, he means you, the body of Christ, the local church in Corinth, that body, you as a whole, are the temple of God. And that God's Spirit dwells in you, the body, the church. If anyone destroys God's temple, that means God's church. It has nothing to do with smoking or eating wrong. It has to do with teaching. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, cut him in pieces. Okay. Yeah. Paul concludes a section this way Chapter 4. This is how one should regard us who are in word ministry, Paul says, as servants, slaves of Christ. And stewards, there you go, stewards of the mysteries of God. And moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. I'm leaving, steward, take care of it all. Make sure everyone is fed in their proper times. You know where all the money is and you know how to get the food. Make sure it's done. That's all he asked. Give them my food. Peter. Feed sheep. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ, as stewards. The Master's left something for stewards to feed people with stewards of the mysteries of God. It's the gospel, it's Genesis. Through revelation. It's the whole counsel of God that Paul said to the other pastors and the other elders from Ephesus. Okay, guys, I'm not going to see your face anymore, but some of you are going to just go, well, bam, off the cliff. And you're going to abuse the sheep for your own lust. You'll be cut up. Don't be like that. I thank God, Paul says about himself, I've washed my hands. I have not failed to give to you The master's food of the whole council of God. There's not a lot of complexity there. A lot of people, well, this guy's not that guy. This pastor's not that guy. That guy's not pastoral. It means he's not really sweet and nice all the time. Well, sometimes shepherds are not supposed to be sweet and nice. all. But here's the main thing, and they're all sinful, like me. But here's the main thing. Are they faithful with the mysteries of God to give them? I don't know where that came from. Five minutes. It's gonna be a long sermon in there. Okay, as we're last verse. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Beware, is his point, to every one of us. To sin against greater and greater light of truth means that the punishment is bigger and greater and more severe. It's a dangerous thing to hear the Word of God preached Sunday after Sunday and to go away and ignore it week after week after week to live as if the Master is not coming home soon. Jesus' message to Everyone in this room this morning is, get ready. Be ready. His second coming is more sure, it is more sure than that the sun will come up tomorrow. And He will come when you least expect it, like a thief in the night. And So the question as a Christian, so Christians do. We ask ourselves these questions constantly. It's what's supposed to be about as a believer fighting the fight of faith. Is, are you only living for today? Are you living in a way that does not account for Jesus coming through the clouds in the next 20 minutes? Are you foolishly pushing it out of your mind by thinking I've got time I can dabble in sin more and longer I'm only 14 17 I'm young there's a lot of time I really want to experience some of those things Your mind says, I can play games with romance, sexuality. Jesus probably isn't coming back. Maybe I'm safe for the next couple years. Oh, I I know that if I really think about it, biblically, this guy is not the Lord's will. But I'll dabble. Or this gal. The mercy of Jesus in our text this morning pleads with us. Don't think that way. But live and act and obey and trust Him as if the Master were coming back tonight. That's the Christian life. The call to be ready. What does it mean? It it means daily pursue this godly life of trust and obey. Of sanctification. Of holiness. Of the obedience of faith. As I'm going to close now in a second. Let me just grab Paul. Say, Paul... Resaying what I just said about the Christian life. And here is how he says it in Titus. For the grace of God, believer, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to say no. To ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Don't miss this. Now here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. In this present age waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Stay dressed for action. And keep your lamps burning, believer. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake. We are singing. We will be passing out the bread and the cup that Jesus ate with His apostles on the night before He was killed. Oh, get the gospel. Get the whole of it. The cup that He won't drink again until that day when He comes back. As you receive it, hold it. We will be praying over and partaking over each element together.